listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, it's good to have you back. Hey, thanks, man. It's um, it's decently nice to be here. Now, for the audience, Kirk put on a smile right here, and it's the first <laughs> expression he's made today. He's uh-huh. feeling still very, very deathly. He's putting on a brave show for you, but we don't have full Kirk here today. I'm very brave. And I am here. I figure I'm about... You're brave. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm about 50% here. I figure you'll sort of guide this ship today, and then I'll, you know, I'll steer once in a while when it feels appropriate. I mean, after listening to your uh, soliloquy on Friday, your solo episode, I was actually feeling real inspired. You, um, you did this great speech about becoming that monster in the dark, and I, I went out for a drive. Uh, just to get out of the house for the first time in like five days. And I'm sitting there feeling like shit, but I was like motivated to train hard all of a sudden. It was a weird combination. So you did a good job without me, what I'm getting at. That's That makes me feel good about myself because we don't listen to podcasts. So the fact that you listen to my podcast. Yeah. Second episode I've listened to in like six to 10 months. And that was that one. I was like, what did Bracken put? put out there and it was good it's a weird feeling to feel like crap but then also mm-hmm. get this surge of like i want to start training hard when you can it was like a weird combination but you did you did your job in fact i may listen again whoa mm-hmm. wow I, my question for you on on that is did you um did you have to like cut and paste and stop and record or was that a one-shot deal like once you got rolling that was just clean without editing the the take you have was one take, hmm. but I stopped within 10 or 15 seconds of starting at least four times. And finally I said, screw it. This is dumb because I couldn't do it without you here. Oh, come on. Staring at me instead of you was so weird. What I eventually did is I took my browser and I dragged it over to the side and I just stared into the background like you were there oh. because I couldn't do it looking at myself. I deleted four files with a total of like 35 seconds of talking because I'd go to talk and it was like I had never spoken in my life. I was, I was, it felt like I was ninth grade English up in front of the class again, unable to, to string words together. So I had to remove me from the equation. And then I said, whatever happens, we're just charging straight through. And that's, that's what we got. Well, I think it was one of the best episodes we've released in months. Um, and I wasn't there for it. So your monologue was really good. Go back and listen, Thank folks, you. if you haven't. It's it's the only episode of ours I can listen to that I had no hand in. And I was like, damn, like, I think we'll be all right. So good job. Thank you. Well, it's it's mm-hmm. funny that you talked about the, uh, the feeling of feeling really bad, but also mm-hmm. being motivated to train because I felt that exact same way yesterday. My legs feel pretty beat up. And I was sitting on the couch looking at my schedule, looking at the things I want to do this year. Because, I mean, the reason I spoke about that is because it's on my mind. It's not like when you couldn't be there, I thought, oh, I'm just going to, I guess I'll talk about darkness. No, I'd been thinking about the darkness for, for six weeks as I'm starting to feel healthy again. And so it was fresh on my mind. So I'm going through and revamping and I have spent the last week or two planning out what races I think I can get to and starting to look at travel and all that stuff. So I was feeling all fired up this weekend, but my legs were so beat up that I, I just kept sitting there like, what else could I do today? What, What could I do extra now? But I shouldn't work out because tomorrow I have scripted things I need to do for this plan. But I just want to do more right now. And that's a weird feeling. So what did you do? Nothing. Nothing. I'm, follow- I'm following the plan. What I've wanted to do for a while was do what my athletes are doing. I always hate saying my athletes. The athletes I work with. I have no sway over them. I don't own them. 
I get as much from them, I'm sure, as they get from me. So mm. uh, the athletes I work with, I've said it on here before, how many times I look back and realize if I had just followed their progression this year, I'd be yeah. so much further along. But I keep getting lost in the weeds because I get excited about something and I'm just like a dog. I chase it off into the weeds and come limping back with a lame, a lame paw and I'm out for a few weeks. So I scripted me the best I possibly could as if I had just done a consult with me and found out everything I knew about myself, looked back through all my historical data, and tried to program me for the year. So I have the plan. I have what I had to do today. And so I didn't stray yesterday, even though I was so fired up to do more. I didn't do more yesterday, so I could do everything today. Well, as I was laying on the couch licking my wounds, uh, I got a text that came in of a screenshot of a watch. Um, you went out and hit a hard mile. I don't know if it was a time trial or just a hard mile. Um, you can let me know, but you went sub five in the mile. And then I saw a video on Tim Lambiris' Instagram of you running on the track and there's no snow there. Yeah. We're buried in like three feet. Only five hours away. Last week before I got sick, I'm ashamed to admit it. All five of my runs were done on the treadmill the week prior to getting sick because it was negative 30. Well, that was the main reason, but we also just had snow every day, every day. And then I see you down there and alpha flies bouncing around a track that's clean (laughs) and you live like five hours from me. It's unfair. It's unjust. How did that go? We had that same, I mean, a, a lesser version of yours where we didn't get above zero for what, a week? And then we had this big storm predicted and our temperature shot up. We had 50 back-to-back days and then 40 back-to-back days, degrees, Hmm. and we got rain. So whatever it would have hit at zero degrees would have been nasty. And everything's gone. Everything was wet and it was kind of icing over. And that's why I decided to do this. I I was talking with anyone who would listen to me trying to get advice (laughs) on. I I haven't. I can't find any proof I broke five in the mile this year. And I have this dumb streak with, between my brother and myself of trying to break five in the mile for as many years as possible. Mm-hmm. And then ours is trying to also concurrently dunk as many years as possible. So I broke five for the first time as a sophomore, but I didn't dunk until I was a junior, maybe a senior, senior. So there's a two year gap in there. But anyways, my streak goes back to 2002. I couldn't prove it. I couldn't prove that I had a sub five mile this year. I had run five flat. I have evidence of a five flat point three in a workout. Mm. I should have just dipped under it, but I wasn't trying to run a time that day. I was running off effort. So uh, I wasn't going to do it because I haven't run flat, obviously, in nine weeks. I've been doing all my rehab for my quad. And I've been down to five to 7% incline. And I did one short bout the other day. I put it to 3% incline, 11 miles per hour to kind of approximate what that effort would feel like and just ran for 90 seconds. And I decided this is way too fast. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. And then the temperature rose and the snow melted and the tracks were calling. And Tim said he would bike next to me while I did it. So I was like, and it was really Lisa. Lisa said, you already lost your podium streak this year. Don't lose everything. All at once. So I did it. She's right. Went out, ran one mile. Was it a time trial? I don't know what you would call it. It was a trial to run a time. The goal is to run 459 and just get it done as close to five minutes as possible with the least amount of damage as possible. So I threw on the alpha flies for the cushioning, got on a soft, bouncy, old shredded rubber track, and uh, did... The bare minimum, uh, I warmed up at my house to get loose and then did the bare minimum warm up once I got there. I think it was probably six or seven minutes from the time we got out of the car till the time we were starting. Just limit the pounding, get it done, and get out of there. So what was it? Ah, 458. Nice, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. I did the full mile, started that 10 meters behind the line. Did it right. So the first lap came through at 73. With the extra 10 meters and then just ran 75, 75, 75 to finish it off. It'd be like a 455 mile, we'll call it. Just give you, or 455, 1600, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't let me forget um, right now I'm thinking of it. Uh, For you listeners out there, um, I ordered a pair of Alpha Flies um, a couple weeks ago 
the original Alpha Flies or whatever, the one with the four mil drop still, not the next percent two or I don't know what it is. Anyways, I ordered a size 10 and a half and they came in a size 11 and I don't want them. So if anybody wants a pair of Alpha Flies that are brand new that are size 11, I'll sell them to you for 150 bucks. DM me. I'll send them over to you. Haven't worn them once. They came in the That's wrong size. Through Poshmark. It's the only place I could find the old ones. And oh, clearly I got yeah. I got bent over there. So if anybody has a size 11 need, message me because they're just sitting here now. As a by the way. We just got Poshmarked hosed. One of Lisa's gifts was a Poshmark Viore sweater. Uh-huh. And it was supposed to be a small and it came in a medium. It's like not that hard, right? Like just give me the size that you said you had. So now I'm wearing it. Anyways, I didn't want to. Forget. I was meaning to say that, and I would have forgot other than you just mentioned Alpha Fly. So, um, well, I guess what we should do. I get our idea here was. Is, I do want to say one thing though, quick. Oh, of course. I don't know why I say the word quick. I'm going to say it quickly, and then it's going to derail us for another 20 minutes. That's fine. Part of my issue with not wanting to run the mile outside, but having to, is because I was going to do the equivalent on the treadmill. But because I wasn't running flat yet, I was going to do it at 3% incline. And so when I was running at 3% incline and I was doing some at 5, I was wearing my forerunner. Mm-hmm. It basically told me I, I got, I, I think I ran a mile at 6% incline. And when the treadmill said I was at a mile, my watch says I was at 0.78. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is nonsense. I was hoping my watch would feel the pace I was running effort-wise, even though I was running uphill and it would give me a, a quicker time. So I switched to my, I'm going to say Phoenix. I know, I, I think it's Phoenix, but I like the idea of a Phoenix. So my Phoenix, my Phoenix 6, and I ran, and it beeped when my watch said I was at point, when the treadmill said I was at 0.54 miles, my, my Phoenix said I was one mile in. So... I couldn't even get an accurate cheater performance on the treadmill. So I was forced to go outside to get accurate metrics. So that's a huge discrepancy between two watches. And I think the issue is, A, it's not accurate, obviously. But B, on one of my watches, the first time I did a treadmill run on it, afterwards it said treadmill pace or whatever, detected, whatever it said, accept or decline. Mm-hmm. It wanted me to confirm whether the distance was accurate, and I was just going through, because it's always like, end workout, save workout, be done, and I was just click, click, clicking, and I I accepted it. That was my chance to go through and enter the actual distance that the treadmill said so that my watch and treadmill would be accurate, and I missed that, and I didn't even look into how to reset it. So one of them is way off, and the other one's way off in the other direction, but I guess... I don't know what the point of this all is other than to say, A, I had to go outside and run a mile mm. for for the, the sake of being accurate. And B, you just can't trust your, your watch indoor on a treadmill unless you have a stride pod or, oh, a user sent us this device. And I'm going to find what it is and I'm going to talk about it in the next episode because it's incredible looking. But unless you have a specific device paired to your watch to tell you exactly how fast or far you're running, you just can't. You have to trust that the treadmill, however far off it is, is consistently off because your watch is never accurate. Well, yeah, and if you were going to try to do a mile time trial on the treadmill at 3%, which I think is the closest to flat running you can do fast on a Nordic track, that's like a 20 second per mile, more difficult mile to run at 3%. So then you're really having to run 440 to run five minutes. And then it becomes a whole mess. So outside was the way to go. I've had yeah. uh, I've had more athletes recently um, send me data from their watch off of their treadmill workouts, and I've had to correct probably a half a dozen in the last month. Um, even if you calibrate your watch to your treadmill, what happens is you can do a calibration where you run on the treadmill, And then at the end of your run, it will say, okay, just enter how far the treadmill says you went. And it will try to pair itself up. Mm -hmm. Even then, it's inaccurate. At best, you're going to get within 20 seconds a mile. But at worst, it could be minutes still. 
And then if you add incline to the equation, anything, your calibration is completely thrown out the window. So any of yeah. you who use your watch data on the treadmill, it's useless. It's more useless than a watch heart rate or a wrist watch heart rate monitor reading, in my opinion. Um, that's how useless uh, your treadmill reading is on your watch. And so always go with what the treadmill says. An interesting question posed, and this was one of my athletes' reasoning for using his watch, is I had prescribed the 15-15 test, 15 minutes at 15%. And he said, well, there's a ramp-up phase when the treadmill gets going. So I mm -hmm. wanted to start my watch right away and just go off of my watch because of something with the ramp-up phase. Like, I feel like I'm losing the first 30 seconds of my test because the speed's either on its way up or the incline's on its way up. And your solution there in a, in a issue like that is to just set your treadmill to 15%, hit start, let it run, and then you hop on at like minute one or minute two and you just make a quick note of what the distance is. Like let's say I start at minute two, so I really am going from minute two to minute 17, but let's say the treadmill covered point one miles. You just subtract that from what the treadmill reads when mm -hmm. your score is done. That way you can rely on your treadmill. That's what I often do. Um, some treadmills you can hop right on and it'll let you get everything set before you hit the start button and then some have a ramp up phase, but that's a good way around that. Yeah. But anyways, don't go off your watch on the treadmill no matter what, ever. Always what the treadmill says is what actually happened. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and that's true, especially on a Nordic track, they they speed up so slowly. So when I do it on the Nordic track, I generally let it go 0.1 miles and then I start. And whatever the time is when I start, yeah, just add 15 to that. When I'm on, when I used to have my star track, I would just start right from the start because it got up to speed in five seconds anyway. Yeah. And that's like starting a race. You have to start from a stop anyway. So yeah, but no, that's, it's, it's logical thinking, but the watch is just so flawed because it's not designed for that. The only way to really dial that in is the way they dial in foot pods and other things like that, where you would have to test it at multiple paces and say what you were doing versus what the watch is reading. And then you can get it to within single digit seconds per mile. With the exception of incline. <laughs> yeah. And you had 1% incline to it. And it's going to change the script. So that's the exact, that's where it's off. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to nap? Do you want to guide the ship, you know, piggyback off of the ship you set sail on Friday's episode? I just, I had a power outage here, which seems to be happening to me a good bit just now. And I just saw our running public stories and a bunch of people were post were posting about the episode. So shall we dive in a little more? Yeah, let's do that. So, I mean, to recap really, really briefly, the whole point of the episode was we shy away from what we are fearful of. And it, it cements that we will remain fearful of that. And in the athletic realm or in the personal development realm, that means we stop growing. We stop pursuing the things that we need to in the proper way. We, we might pursue them, but we avoid the things that, that worry us or are uncomfortable or we are fearful of. And so identifying what those things are, identifying the people who are good at those things, and then see what are they doing to be good at that. And then just copy them, mimic them, translate it to your life, but do that. And... And then finding what are your patterns? What are your natural tendencies that you fail at or that trip you up over and over and over throughout your life? And then create habits to get your reps in fighting that habit until it's not your habit anymore. So what I want to do today is give actionable info. Last time was a little bit more theoretical. Get you fired up. Think about, yeah, that's great. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Like if you're driving around for 80 minutes to get out of the house because you have COVID and you're going stir crazy, you get fired up. But then what are the action points? Let's give action points today. Let's talk through how each of us plan on doing that so that people have a roadmap. Yeah. Are you a flincher or are you an attacker? I like that. Your daughter's going to be a scary force someday, Bracken. Yeah. If we can just get through the middle school years in high school, okay, only, she'll only be a force. Like 10 more years. She's nine. How old is she? Seven. No, younger. Seven. Yeah. Okay. 10 more years or so. Yeah. Um, I think when I was listening, you know, I, you and I have a lot of nice conversations about what we're trying to accomplish and through your comebacks of injury and uh, whatever. You don't like the word comeback, but you understand what I'm saying. And so obviously you haven't been allowed yeah. to 
stand in the dark very much. Like you actually haven't had access to dark. You're you're living in perpetual light, mm-hmm. which sounds like it would be a good thing, but it's not, right? You haven't been able to access the dark and now you finally can. The dark being the scary things in training that are going to most likely work your weaknesses and, and eventually make you better. And so I think I know the answers to this for you, but since this was your brainchild, um, what are the, what are the darknesses for you, for example, like being specific? Cause you said, this is something you're working on coming up. And I wanted to hear your, your take specifically, like there are obviously darknesses in which you've been thinking about in which spawn that episode idea. And you didn't really outline them in the episode because that wasn't the purpose. Obviously, your the purpose of your episode right. was theory, and it was great. Um, so why don't you why don't you you share first, and then and then I can follow that up because I have some. It was making me think of a few things myself, which which is good. So why don't you tell us what what are your darknesses and what is your plan? My darknesses are are interesting to me, which everyone's are to themselves. But you ask someone what's the most painful race in the world, and you're going to get a different answer for everyone. But if you had to search that, what's the most painful race distance online, generally the most common, probably the most common result you find is the 800 meters. That's what the general consensus, most painful race is the 800 meters. Other than the people who specialize in the 800 meter race, they generally say, no, it's not because by the time it's bad, you're kicking in, you're finishing and you train to exist in that level of intense discomfort. So it's not foreign to you. That is your darkness. You're used to that. You see clearly there. So my background is one to four minutes of very intense, concentrated discomfort. And I'm very comfortable in that mode. So my darkness is everything beyond that. I look at marathoners, half marathoners, ultra marathoners, the people that can just get into that moderately discomfort discomfortable, discomfortable, that moderately uncomfortable place and sit in it and sit in it and sit in it longer and longer to the point where you don't want to be there anymore. It's not fun. In the races I'm naturally good at, by the time you don't want to be there anymore, the finish line is in sight. And that's the, all the carrot I need. Yeah. When in those longer events, when you get to that place of, I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't fun anymore. You might not even be halfway done. And that's one big place of darkness for me, putting myself into more situations where for me, I think it's the workouts no longer enticing, exciting, fun. And I still have part two. Historically, I will get through any workout that I put in front of me as long as I've done the preceding blocks of training. I'm good at easing into discomfort. If I do part A, I can do part B. If I do B, I can do C and I build into those and I can handle it. But what I don't generally do is uh, make the workouts significantly longer and more arduous. I just keep that intensity and lengthen it one more notch. I don't do the big, long two-hour workouts that are grindy and nasty. And whenever I do, uh, I've crumble in them and you crush me in them. So that's one of my darknesses is sitting in it longer, building up that that impervious engine. That's, that's one significant one for me. So even though college was a lifetime ago for you, you haven't focused on four minutes or less mm-hmm. racing in over a decade, decade and a half. You still feel like it's your darkness. Like it will be your perpetual darkness. I mean, it's going to... I think it's my natural skill set. Mm. Yeah, that would make sense. Anytime I've trained for anything throughout my adult life, I generally jump in a road mile at some point. I've run a road mile all but two or three years since college Mm. and I always do well at them. You know, I don't, I don't think I've had a year that I've run slower. Uh, Okay. Since college, I think I've had four years where I didn't break 430 in a mile with generally one attempt per year, maybe two. Like that's pretty decent running for someone who's not training for a mile. That's just my sweet spot. And during the race, it's not misery. Afterwards, it's misery because I'm not training to handle that type of just overload on my system and I die afterwards. But during it, it's like, oh, hey, old friend, I understand you. We understand each other. I don't get that feeling at longer races. 
I never have, like during the mile race, no matter what I'm training for, there's a sense of peace during it because it's comfortable. And I'll sit there halfway through and be like, oh, this is bad. But I know this is when it gets bad. And I know that if I can make it to the thousand meter mark or the 1200, I can finish in no matter what. Like I can be on the verge of feeling like I'm dying, but I know I can close here. I'll have that. I don't have that sense of peace about other distances. And so I spend the entire time questioning whether I'm even going to finish or if this pace is acceptable. That doesn't happen in the short one. So I don't know if it's because of college or if it's because it's just what my system's best at doing, but yeah, it's just never really faded. Mm. Well, you've had some successful racing where it's required living in that darkness and you've done well for periods of time in your career. So what did it take to illuminate that side of your fitness for you in the past? Because obviously at one point, like this, this part of your fitness, this darkness, this long grindy stay power stuff, which a lot of times is endurance racing, like in a nutshell, right? So, um, obviously that was illuminated somewhat at points in your career. Like what got you to the points in which illuminated it in the past? And then what is your plan now? The times I was best. And when I say best, I, I was never a two to three hour race monster. My most effective races, if you look back through, not that anyone wants to, but through my quote unquote career, my best years, all the races that I did well at capped at 60 to 75 minutes. Mm. They were the shorter super distance. They were the the longer sprint distance. It was the 20 minute to 70, 75 minutes. And every minute past that was bleeding out. So even though I got to that point, I still couldn't extend it for two hours. I've never had a big successful race longer than two hours, maybe one time in my life. So, But what I did is I was doing multi-part workouts, long workouts. When I was in Colorado, I would do my interval session each week. And I would finish it up by heading over to the incline, the Manitou incline, and doing at least one lap of that, if not two. Or I would start with one or two laps of that and then go out for a threshold run. Or I would do six by thousand and then go to my steepest hill and do 35 minutes of hill reps. I was doing multi-part workouts because I didn't have the fitness to do any, I couldn't do 15 by thousand out there. I don't know if it was the altitude or what, but I could chain together multi-part workouts with slight rest in between. And so that was my way of kind of cheating the system and getting better at sitting in places longer as I changed up the scenery slightly. And since then, if I have a multi-part workout planned, I'll find a reason that part one's good enough. That was a good workout. Six by thousand's great. Let's stop there. Rather than get on the treadmill and now I have a 2,000 foot gain for time to do mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to be, part two doesn't happen anymore. Part two is where the nuts and bolts of the workout start to get tightened, but I'm not even getting to those. And that's one of the biggest places that that the darkness needs to, to, to creep back into my life is in those longer stay power workouts. All right, you got done with your intro set. Now it's time to get to work rather than saying, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So then getting uncomfortable and sitting in it for a while instead of backing off is sort of the focus, right? Is what I'm understanding. So yeah. how do you, so is that the plan moving forward then is yeah, these multi-part workouts, just committing to the second or third portions, finishing what you started, not allowing fatigue from early on in the workout to decide, uh, I've gotten enough stimulus for today. You're going to dig into the next part no matter what. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. And if you look at the top end of the running world, very, very few people get by on low volume of quality work. Mm. They're all putting in long, big workouts in order to be good. And it doesn't have to be super frequent, but you have to be able to do that. In order to run rounds and track semis or prelim semis finals, you have to have a volume of long workouts or multi-part or two-a-day workouts to be able to handle that. And the way our sport's going right now, you're going to have to be able to run hard two or three times in one day in order to be good. Mm -hmm. You can't say, oh, the first set was great. Awesome. No, now you've got a longer race to do in the PM. So it, it only makes sense to follow that trend. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That's a good tangible. I mean, really what you're just, you're identifying Mm -hmm. your weakness, which is your darkness. And then you're literally just forcing it down your throat. And what you're outlining Bracken is racing. Like it, 
it's probably the biggest darkness. I would say the most common one for our listeners would simply be like that long extended effort, whether it's a tempo or threshold run or it's a race like that is probably what will move your performance needle the most is like just getting in that dark and sitting there mm-hmm. because unless you're racing, what anything shorter than four minutes, as you mentioned, it becomes more about exactly what you're, what you're outlining. I would think like the biggest jump to my fitness is I used to look at one, like, like when I used to train for five K's on the road before I found OCR, um, it'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to do five K worth of quality work today. So that means 12 by 400 or three by a mile or six by 800 meters. This is well before I, I really got nuanced with programming. This is a decade ago or so. Um, and thinking that was good enough. And yet that race, I mean, a mile and a half in was so painful and unbearable. And a lot of times it was very difficult to perform well. And it hurt so much more than I recall training hurting. And it was, mm-hmm. it was always tough. I was like, every time it was like such a dreadful experience to toe the line because I just knew it was going to hurt. Um, and not that racing doesn't hurt now, of course it does, but um, now, like if I got five K's on my agenda, like most of my quality workouts, I might have seven miles worth of stuff in it. And then racing down, it's like, yeah, well, I've just pushed myself for 40 plus minutes of some kind in this quality work. And a five K is going to take me 15. Like it's felt so bite sized comparatively. It became my mile. It became like, well, this can't hurt me. Like I'm used to going out every day and working hard for 30 to 50 minutes of quality work every time I decide it matters. This is going to be 15 minutes. Like, that's not scary at all. Even if it's so intense, I, it, it's intolerable. It's still manageable because I've just swung the hammer harder in training. And that became a really big tool for me. Like now, those shorter stingy bouts aren't as, as dreadful, mostly because of the duration I've earned that perspective. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it, it's interesting you and I talking to each other about this because we're very similar in our track background and what our skill set is that we bring to the table. And it, it makes me think I was watching on the, I've been on the treadmill so much indoors. I, that, Sunday was my first, Saturday was my first outdoor run in nine weeks. And so it's been nine weeks of indoor and we all know I'm just watching running content while we're doing mm-hmm. that. And I watched uh, Rich Roll actually. I watched an interview he did with Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden. And Gustav and Christian are training partners. They're both the Norwegian triathletes. And Gustav just upset Christian at the Ironman World Championships. And they were talking about their training and about how they are the exact opposite athlete. Blumenfeld has huge engine, huge capacity. He's been tested. His lung volume, kind of like what Ryan Atkins described, is off the charts. When he goes to altitude, he doesn't struggle because his lungs are so massive. He just has more oxygen available than other people. But he needs to work harder as race day approaches. And they said they do most of the same training, but as they get closer, they're constantly monitoring what their metrics are to see if they're responding. And Gustav Eden said, I am an explosive athlete. I have fast twitch in me. I... I can get up and go. And what we consistently find is that as we get into our taper and closer to race day, my numbers aren't responding the way we want them to. And so whereas we get close to race day and Christian needs to go short and fast and get spicy so that he can peak and perform, I need more threshold work. Right. I I have to back up and get slower and longer because otherwise I start to actually get worse. And that feels like you and I where we can look around at people like maybe an Atkins who, when they get close to race day, they're throwing in spicy three minute, one minute intervals and working hard. And when we try that in the past, tapering doesn't seem to work great for us. Mm -hmm. But when we grind as the race approaches, we always tend to feel way better than we expect to racing down because it works well for our DNA. Right. And, and so moving forward, being able to embrace that as, no, I don't get to choose the comfort of the short sting, stingy work. I have to choose the discomfort of the long work to make sure that I arrive with my engine topped off. Sharpening's not what I need to do, even though it's more fun for me. Building is what I need to do always. Anytime I've been 
into a phase where I don't have races coming up, so I don't think I need the short, spicy work quite yet. I'm just doing longer, grindy stuff. I'm putting in the time. I've made the biggest jumps in my fitness then, hands down, versus any peaking phase, sharpening phase. You're probably the same way. The interesting thing about this Mm -hmm. is so for perspective, I was – as a freshman in college, right, I took eighth at Indoor Nationals in the 1500. Okay. Fast forward six months, and we were national champions in cross country that next fall, and I was our eighth runner. I rode the pine. I was the eighth in the country in the 1500 meters, but I was only eighth on our team in cross country, which was five miles. My darkness was the exact same thing as yours. I was always, give me that three to I could, maybe eight minutes, even the 3K up to about eight, nine minutes. After that, I started to really lose my return. And so my darkness was your darkness. And which means like the longer grindy stuff. Like, I mean, I raced all out. There was no question. I left everything on those cross country courses and I would get dropped by a minute, minute and a half by the best guys on my team. Yet I can run shoulder to shoulder and beat them in a mile. And so that's very real Mm because I was working hard. I was running 60-mile weeks, which for me, 60, 70-mile weeks, I was putting in the work. But the interesting thing is that my darkness has become the mile, has become the short stuff now. I've worked the other end so much these last few years that I did – my darkness became my light. Like, it is my strength. I am the monster in the threshold darkness. Like, that's me. And that was the opposite. I've been looking at guys I ran – with back in college and most of them have given it up you know they they got lives that don't entail racing but there's a few there's a few that are still putting it out and man i would bet my paycheck that every seven of those guys that were in front of me on that cross-country team i would whoop right now i'd be our number one runner and it's because i sat in the darkness constantly well and by that i mean i've just been grinding and grinding and and my metrics are showing for it but the thought of going out for a mile time trial right now scares the shit out of me. A Spartan sprint now, I'm like, who? Like that new 3K format, I'm like, <laughs> Kirk ain't ready for that. Like that's dark. That's that's muddy dark. That is blindingly dark to me right now. That's interesting. And in the past, it wouldn't have been that way. And that's something I haven't told you is that this new format, although it doesn't really excite me to start with, it also is my darkness without question. I've relied on my engine, not my sharp. So for me... Um, point being is I worked on that weakness. I mean, proofs in the pudding between where I was as a miler versus a cross country runner, like that says it right there. Um, and I've reversed that now. I think my state power is my strength. And so it's proof that if you spend time in the darkness and I hated it, those first tempo runs, I remember like four or five miles, like, oh, they were awful. I can go back in my running log and read how terrible I felt in them. I could read some, uh, excerpts to you at some point. It was awful. Like it just sucked, you know, 10 minutes in and I hated it and I had to hang on for another 20 and it was just miserable. Now they're comfortable, but it pays off is what I'm getting. Like your, your sermon is truth and I lived it. But the problem is, is that I let go of one of my strengths. And now if I want to be competitive in this new realm of OCR, I need to go back and and relearn it's like i pulled the shades over one side to illuminate the other and that always doesn't work either so that would be my darkness would (laughs) would be yeah i uh i'm scared of the short stuff now good news for you is that you and i can sharpen up and get used to that a whole lot quicker than it took to get used to good at the long stuff you know it took me like a decade it wasn't much (laughs) (laughs) so the other thing about darkness is that there are really two types of darkness to me when when we're talking about this concept. There's the one that I spent time talking about, the scary darkness, the darkness that looms out there. But then there's the darkness that's just kind of over in the corner. Like that room in your house that the lights are always off and you just don't even look at it anymore because it's been there in the corner so long and you've avoided it for so long you don't even notice it there anymore. It's not dark because of fear. It's dark because of lack of attention. And that's something that I have to really focus on this year because I take a look at at my training holes and half of the holes in my plan are because I don't want to go fill that in. That looks bad. And the other half are because I've just always thought, eh, 
I don't know. It's not really that important. And that eh, sound doesn't come out of the mouth of a world champion. There's none of that. Every hole is plugged. And so I, I take a look and I say, all right, let's look at, forget OCR. Let's look at running in general. And we'll add OCR and triathlon into that. And I said, all right, try to name one world record holder or one world champion with a weak core. And I couldn't do it. Even the most emaciated looking, skinny, distance, frail runners out there, when you see them after a race or in a workout, lift their jersey up to wipe sweat or snot off their face, their trunk is ripped. And it oftentimes looks really weird to have this really skinny, frail set of arms and legs, and then this defined eight-pack and all the riblets are out. It's, it's bizarre to see. Everyone has it. I always used to uh, think, for example, Safan Hassan. She is one of the, the most talented, dominant uh, female endi- endurance runners of our time. And she always looked like a spider to me when she ran. She had these super long, thin limbs that just stretched out ahead of her. And I ne- she never struck me as having muscle tone. She just looked long. And after a race, she took her singlet one time and lifted it up just like cheering and just wasn't even thinking just like her shirt rose up while she was doing it and her core was shredded i thought oh my goodness ever even at the top level of running where some people only care about running volume and they're not touching weights this woman has dedicated her year to shoring up her core it was just really eye-opening to me so i could i couldn't i couldn't come up with one great distance runner who had a weak core and i can go back and look and see years months at a time and and sometimes years without doing a single core workout that's not acceptable think of one ocr successful world champ or record holder of some sort that has subpar grip strength or endurance you can't find one and yet i can look back and see months or years without doing a grip workout so these are that's that room that i have in the back of my house that no one goes in the lights always off no one's afraid of the room we just don't even remember that that room exists anymore so that's the other half of the darkness I have to, you know, flip the switch on this year is you don't get to push those things to the side and still have big goals. If you're willing to say eh about that, then your goals have to be meh. They, they, it, can't, it can't be one or the other. You can't have one and the other. You have to have both. Strong core, strong darkness, strong goals, or everything can just be meh. But then you can't expect anything and you can't expect to stay healthy. Yeah. Are those your two mate? Are those your two like lowest hanging fruit? Are those like the glaringly obvious ones or are you, do you have a whole list? I have a whole list of all the pieces, all the chain links that have been just eroded or forgotten about entirely. Hmm. Entirely. Just the things that are not happening consistently, but that the best people don't even think twice about doing. It's just immersed in their life every day. And those are the kind of things. How much time does core, does grip work, does hip mobility and strengthening take out of your day? Practically none. Mm-hmm. You just have to get in the habit of doing it, and then you never think about it again. It just happens, and your your life goes on. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, <clears throat> it reminds me too, like of um, uh, another example of myself. Like, I think what just to like reiterate, I guess first is the point is like identifying your weaknesses duh what you're afraid of duh and then do a lot of that that's simple right is the formula as simple as i'm making it yeah like what what do you dread the most okay good do that do that a lot right am i missing something or is it blatantly that simple no that's it the things i dread or the things i avoid can't be we can't be trusted to get to it They have to be programmed into our life. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if it's not fitness related. It can be relationship. It can be work. I don't care what it is, but we have to eventually trust that we're telling ourselves the truth with our actions. Right. Like if you've missed it 17 straight times, trust yourself that that's who you are. You're going to miss it the 18th and 19th and 20th time as well. So now it has to be written down. It has to be programmed in. You'll get to your enjoyable things because you enjoy them. So now you your main movers of your day have to be scripted to be the things you don't enjoy mm-hmm. or you don't currently use. It has to be. There's no other way around it. 
Yeah, it, and and if you're wondering how to navigate whatever your your darkness is, it's like remember when I was focusing on climbing? I first got my Nordic track back in 2017, and and I was a horrendous climber. I mean, that's an accurate way to describe it because I'd never climbed before, and <laughs> so suddenly it was like I had this treadmill and I was doing all this uphill work. Um, trying to improve my climbing because I realized that's what the Spartan series required, especially championship season. Um, and then what did I do? Like, you know, I mentioned how I, I swung a little hard on the threshold grindy stuff. And then now maybe the short stingy stuff is my darkness. Well, very easily, like maybe you, you shift to two out of three of your quality days are now focused on your darkness, but you're still allowing a little bit of time and maybe a perceived strength. I think that's important to continue to give that to us so if it were me like trying to improve my climbing i would go mm-hmm. two uphill workouts one flat two uphill workouts one flat and continue that pattern and that's about what i did back then and at the same time my climbing got exponentially better i pr'd my 5k multiple times even though i was running up more than anything but still giving myself enough of what my perceived strength was to still perform and so yes going all in of course but you also don't want to lose touch with some of the things that are already in the light. So just like just seeding it just a little bit, I think would make, would make sense to me anyways. It worked, yeah. it worked for me, but you will be surprised that working your weaknesses, how much it actually can surprise even your strengths and benefit some of the other things. Like, like what happens if you work your stay power bracket? Is it going to make your 400 faster well, maybe not, but is it going to make your 16 by 400 meter repeats overall probably a faster average when the workout's said and done? What do you think? I think the answer is yes. Your top end speed may not have gotten any better, but now you're averaging a second per rep faster because you're just able to sustain longer. So like it's it bleeds, it, it typically bleeds into the, the other realms almost every time. And I noticed that with my vert yeah. focus back in the day is what I'm getting at. And then things take less out of you. That was, that was a big thing I noticed when I was training for, again, that first trail 50K I did, my first ultra. I did so much stay power work. And then I found that they were more satisfying workouts. I maybe enjoy the idea of going out and running spicy intervals more, but nothing gave me more satisfaction than finishing up the last bit of a stay power workout of a long stamina day, realizing I'm still sitting in it and now I'm accelerating. I got done and you're more trashed. It's more of a whole body fatigue at the end rather than just cardiovascular or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it just felt good to have done it. But during that time, I ran a good mile, but I got done and I was the least trashed I had been after a mile. So even though it wasn't my fastest mile, it was close, but I thought if you gave me 15 minutes, I could get closer to this time than I ever could have after 15 minutes in my life. Right. And there's power to that. That goes back to that volume gives you wiggle room. That gives you wiggle room. Things go bad. I can still handle it. Hmm. What I think is like, and I'm as guilty as anybody of this is like, I don't know. We, we want to, you're not one of these people. I'm somewhere in the middle, but like sharing, the spice on our social media, putting flashy workouts on our Strava, being able to show that you're doing the thing and all of that. Like, obviously I do my workouts of the week on my Instagram and stuff, but like when I use the term, like kind of go monk mode and just like put in the non-glorious, no pats on the back right now type work. Like, that's what I think of when I think of becoming that monster in the dark is like, who cares about posting your workout on Instagram? Who cares about taking the extra time um, to make sure it's all labeled nicely on your Strava with a, an unnecessarily long narrative of your workout? Like, just do it. Spend all of your energy mm-hmm. into what's actually being done and none of the energy on letting anybody else know it's happening. Blindside them. Come up from behind when they don't even realize it. And when you like the blindside reference, I know. I do like the blindside <laughs> reference. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it is. It's like, let purposefully give yourself delayed satisfaction here. Just keep grinding and putting in the work, putting in the work, in the dark, in the dark, in the dark. 
Don't mm-hmm. worry about letting anybody know what you're doing. That's how I feel. I feel like you monsters work in secret, right? Like they the troll under the bridge, like you don't even know it's there until it jumps out and it eats you. Like be that. Don't be Mr. Mrs. Instagram whatever. I don't know why I feel it's important to say that, but I think it's important for you to feel that I'm just going underground for a little bit. I don't need validation. That'll come later. Like I just think if you're going to be a monster in the dark, like I don't think monsters have Instagram. That's all I'm saying. And there's going to be a couple people that need to hear it. And that's all I'm saying. That They do. If I was going to be a podcast host on anything other than running, do you know what it would be? Mm, I don't know. Movies. I would not have guessed that. I'm a big fan of watching movies. I've watched many, many movies in my life, and I like thinking about them. And one of the common threads throughout any monster movie ever made is that critics say the same thing about them, which is either it was fantastic because they delay the reveal and they don't overuse the monster, Mm. or they say... Uh, they kind of just, the monster wears, you just see it so much or the graphics let it down or it's just, they revealed it too early and it kind of killed the mm-hmm. the whole energy of the movie. The best monster-based movies, whether it's the old-fashioned King Kongs or Godzillas or whether it's Jaws or anything like that, you only get glimpses of the monster. You know it's there. You see the result of someone's getting pulled away, but you're really not seeing it. And you generally, in the best ones, don't see its full self until the big reveal towards the end. Or if you do, you see it, and then it's gone. Mm. Even though you've seen its full form, it's pulled away again, and now you just have the memory of how crazy that thing was, but you've got to wait for a while before you see it again. And that adds to the aura, the mystery, and the whole like fear of that monster is not always being familiar with it. You know it's out there but you can't quite remember what it looks like. You just remember what it felt like when you saw it. Mm. And I think that's what we want to be as athletes. The people who are constantly out there, they're famous, but we tend to grow numb to what they're doing. In the NBA right now, Nikola Jokic is, is probably the best player in the NBA and he's won multiple MVPs. And the talk is that there's voter fatigue for him right now. Like, if that isn't the most unfair thing ever, voter fatigue, where if he had never been seen before and he came out and did what he's doing this year, hands down, he's the MVP. No one thinks twice about it. But we've seen him so often, we're used to it. And I'm not saying that people don't want to be so good that people forget how good they are because they're used to it, but most of us will never be that person. And the best thing you can do is grind away in the dark, pop up, do something that makes people think, whoa. That's not who I remember that person being. Mm-hmm. And then be quiet about it and show up the next time and do it and leave people wondering what you're doing, how you transformed your body, how you transformed your mind, how you're looking so good these days, how you seem so confident. Leave them wondering. Don't oversell yourself and underperform. Go overwork and then show up and leave people wondering where did that come from. I like it. Yeah, doing it just for yourself. Um, without the need for any uh, any sort of uh, acknowledgement is the truest form. And there's nothing wrong with sharing things because I do as well, obviously. I'm not, obviously I'd be speaking to myself a little bit here. I'm just saying like any of your energy, any of an emotional investment, any of that I think is just more important to just put right back in to when your running shoes are on or when you're training. Um, that's something, <laughs> there's something fun about that too, I think. Um. It's very fun. You talk about momentum versus motivation, that kind of thing. Discipline versus motivation? Yeah. Well, that discipline turns into momentum real quickly in the dark. Hmm. You start looking forward to, oh, they don't know. (laughs) They don't know. Rather than that feeling of, they know everything and I have to live up to it. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference in the power behind those two statements. And sometimes you're not going to know. Like you're not going to know what's happening until you give yourself an opportunity to learn as well. That's why it's important to, um, with whatever these darknesses or weaknesses you're working is to infuse some sort of markers or time trials into these 
Um, so you can understand, as we talked about in a recent episode, like training progress and running progress isn't linear, right? And so uh, when you start working on your weaknesses or in the dark, like you're not always going to know like just from day to day. So making sure that yeah. you, you can quantify it on your own, I think is important. I think the last darkness for me would be the two major would be like get uncomfortable with the shorter stuff. Um, especially if end up pivoting this upcoming season with OCR, we'll see. And then, um, for me, it's always been, <clears throat> I'm, if I can get comfortable, like I, I, I make the prettiest graphs in this entire sport, I think, because I'm so good at starting conservative and tightening the screws the unfortunate thing about that is that's not racing. Racing is a lot of times the opposite of that. And I've gotten stuck. I know my ability level is as good as the best in the sport. But a lot of times I haven't inserted myself there to start. And then they're too good to make that time up on at the front end. And so um, going out and committing to hurting early and overextending and then trusting that my fitness will allow me to hold on as good or better than whoever I'm shoulder to shoulder with. And so... Every workout I do, I haven't positive split a workout bracket in two years. Like, you know, and that that isn't real world racing. And so for me, what I need to do is I need to, let's say I have mile repeats for the sake of simplicity. Maybe I need to run 445 for my first repeat. I know it's going to put me in a lot of duress and then hope to hold on to five minutes for the rest, for example, with purpose overextend. Um, that would be my darkness. That's where I'm a little scared is committing early. Um, even if that means overextending because the, the lump sum of my work should warrant taking those risks, but I need to practice it, I think first. And so if we're talking about darknesses, my darkness would be overcommitting, um, early in a race. Mm. So there's, there's my two. I have a list here, one of my many lists okay. about what I need to do this year, skill sets versus fitness. Okay. And so much of it talks about efficiency, efficiency, efficiency of all this. But at the very bottom says surge protector and gear changes. I must have that. I must have the ability to shift gears up and down. And then basically the overall fitness of a surge protector. So just like yours at your house right now, which is when that little surge happens, your power's going yep. out and our, our recording gets interrupted. Same thing happens to, to fitness. You can have the most efficient, powerful fitness in the world. But if you don't have a built-in surge protector, that fitness, the power goes out real quick. Yeah. And we all need some surge protector training in our fitness. I could use that for sure. Yep. I like that analogy. But the the bed, the good thing about all of this is that they all take less time to build those skills than it takes to build the engine in the first place. Right. So just like we said about yours, it took you a decade to go from being a 1500 meter runner to someone who thinks, I think I could make a, sh I make a run at a good marathon. It takes whatever, however many years it took to build it. You're probably talking weeks for the skills. Right. So if it took you 10 years, it might be 10 weeks to master surge protecting or gear changes and workouts. And that might even be long. It might even be less than that. So these skills take a whole lot less time than the actual fitness took to build. Mm -hmm. And that should be relieving for everyone out there. Yeah. So I think to simplify it, do you have more you want to outline as far as your darknesses or how you're approaching things? No, because I really... I'm trying to embody that grind in the darkness approach this year. Mm. And part of that is not putting all my cards out on the table. You, you can know what game I'm playing, mm. but I don't want you to know all <laughs> the specifics of my game. And it's not because I'm secretive about what's going to work and what's not going to work. Cause there are very few secrets in this, in this, this realm, but I'd really like to under promise over deliver this year. And so I don't want to get too much more specific other than you'll be able to see on my Strava that I'm grinding, that I'm doing more volume, that my consistency is rising, that there's a lot more things that say indoor running that are happening at 20 minute pace, which means I'm probably on a machine or lifting or doing my core. Like those signs are going to be there, but what the actual goals are, are going to start to become apparent the more I talk about things. And I don't want that yet. Yeah. Yeah, you share 
You share enough knowledge bombs on here. I think if you uh, if you keep a few things close to the chest, I think I think people would understand. I know, I know. And it won't be information about training. I'm keeping close. Right. It's just personal goals. Yeah. The main point, guys, is it's easy. Go get in whatever scares you, and it becomes less scary. Yeah. It's like. Getting in an ice bath, if you haven't been in an ice bath for years, it's like that first ice bath, second ice bath, they're, they're absolute hell, they're miserable. And as you, did you, maybe it was you that mentioned the ice bath thing in the episode. Is that where I'm getting that? Oh, I'm no need to regurgitate then. That was a great analogy. <laughs> Pretty soon you get in it without thinking because you're the monster in the ice bath. Just that simple. That's yeah. simple. The idea of most monsters are worse than meeting them in real life. Mm -hmm. The idea of cold water training or the idea of early morning workouts, the the threat of that feels way worse than actually putting yourself into it. Yeah. You get in there and you realize, why did I, I might even enjoy this. Why did I avoid this for years? I always think that about lifting and core work. I like this. Why, Why do I always avoid this? Once I start doing it, I love it. And it's not because it's scary. It's because it's that room at the end of the hall that I haven't looked at in 15 years. Mm-hmm. It's a great room. It's got great light in there. I just forgot about it. You might find your new favorite thing. Yeah. I think I read a meme on Instagram yesterday, something like uh, there's this task that I've been putting off around the house for a year. For an entire year, I put out put this task off around the house. And today, I finally did that task, and it took me 15 minutes. <laughs> It's like, and it wasn't that bad. Like a task I've been dreading and avoiding yeah. all year, thinking it was so dreadful. I did it in 15 minutes. Realized it wasn't so bad or scary. Why did I put this off so long? And I feel like that's literally the exact same thing with whatever aspect of your training you're dreading. Yeah. So true. So I think I want to leave people with this, Kirk. Okay. When you think about what your goals are for the year, your desires, If whatever is lurking in your darkness, those things you're avoiding doing, if you can look at those and say, if I just did all those consistently, would I hit my goal? If the answer is definitely yes, or probably yes, or I think so, now it's a no-brainer. Because people always ask, aren't my goals realistic? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, but you probably do. If your thing's in the darkness, if you say, I could do all of those 100% and I'm never going to hit my goals... That tells you more about the goal than the darkness. If you think, I still don't hit my goals, but you know the darkness is still important, then the goal needs to be redefined, reevaluated, maybe restated in a more attainable way. But if you're like most of us, which is, I know I could bring in a higher income if I just did blank, or I know my spouse would really appreciate me more if I just did blank, or I know I would PR this year, in my lifts or in my runs, if I just did these things, but I'm not, then that justifies doing them. That's it. If you can say that out loud, there's no hiding from it anymore. If the only reason you won't hit your goal this year is because you won't venture into that darkness, then it's your fault. And there's nothing else to blame. So you have to say these things out loud. Just like in my workouts, I have to tell myself out loud my reason for dropping. And if it doesn't ring true, I'm not allowed to. Same kind of thing here. If you know, if I just do that darkness, I'll hit this, then it's on you if you don't do it. Yep. Preach. So your goals, Kirk, I'm not asking you to state your goals. Yeah. Just like I'm not going to state my goals for the year. But if you do your darknesses, are you going to be able to hit those goals? Oh, with 100% certainty. Yeah, absolutely. I I think most of you listening to this are already coming off of a foundation of movement and a foundation of fitness, right? And so you've already been laying some sort yeah. yeah, you've been laying a foundation to whatever you're going to tackle next, which means you absolutely should be able to attain it because you've already earned that right through putting bank deposits in the bank, ideally for weeks, months, years leading up to this, which is my case. And so just like you said, 10 years of buildup becomes actually like 10 weeks to hone in on one of your darknesses and illuminate it. And at this point, if you've been doing something with relative purpose for a while, 
100% whatever you focus on should be attainable right now. Even if that means just monitoring improvement and heading the right direction. And so in that sense, 100%, I'm, I'm positive that I could become better at the two things I think need a little work. What about you? Well, I'm going to say absolutely, but in a way that I think people might need to be reminded of that achieving your goal doesn't mean accomplishing your goal or vice versa. Accomplishing your goal doesn't mean achieving it. Mm -hmm. Will I do the thing I want to be able to do? Some of those things are outside my control, but will I be in a position to be able to realistically go for it? Yes. I know that's very vague, but will I, if my goal is a placement or a performance, will I get that? I don't know, but I will be in a position that I'm capable of doing it. Sometimes the execution doesn't fall through correctly, but that doesn't mean your goal failed. Mm -hmm. If you're in position and you're capable of doing it, even if you don't pull it off, you've accomplished your goal, even if you didn't quite achieve it. So I'm going to say a yes, but it's really a maybe I think so, but I'm not sure because there are things outside of our control. But yeah, if I do the things that I need to do in order to remain healthy and uninterrupted, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm in a position to go after each one of the, those goals. And to me, being in that position is every bit as important as actually attaining them. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I'm glad you said that. And all of this has nothing to do with turning the light switch on and illuminating that dark room. It has everything to do with the process of getting to the point where you can turn the switch on and illuminate the dark room. You are successful if you choose yeah. a process and then you follow it through. It The result will be what the result will be. That's going to happen no matter what, but it's just you've, you've succeeded if you followed a process. You've shown up. I think that's the key. And then uh, the results will, will unfold as they should, right? Whether you... Yeah achieve your finale goal or not, um, you can at least be, I don't know, happy and confident that you you went out there and you chased it. I think that's the most important thing, right? The win is realizing you can enter the darkness and survive. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily becoming the best person that ever entered the darkness. The win is going into it. Exactly. That's the win. Is that the bow tie you were looking for? This feels like it. Yeah, I think so. This feels like we are at... <laughs> The climax, Greg. Oh, yeah, I can feel it. I was just smooth sailing right into the theme music. <laughs> All right. See you later. We might have the most abrupt endings to episodes of anything I've ever listened That's to. That's all right. We'll keep it that way. There are times I'm editing it where I think, wow, we just ended like that, huh? Okay. And <laughs> all right. the music. So be it. Mm -hmm.